The views expressed in the following program do not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB. Live from the WGBB studios in Merrick, New York, this is Sports Talk New York. Good evening. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Sports Talk New York here on WGBB in beautiful Merrick, Long Island, New York. Bill Donahue back with you, taking you through the first hour on the first show of the new year. For me, anyway, the eighth day of January 2023. It's been uh, a heck of a ride. Uh, COVID back in December, car accident, death in the family. Nutbags in the family. It it just goes on and on, right, Brian? Unbelievable. Well, as as you know, and as I just uh, let you know, Brian is with us as always. My engineer, Brian Graves. Happy to welcome you aboard tonight. Glad you could be with us. We got a great show lined up for you tonight. First, we'll speak with the president of the National Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum in Cooperstown, Josh Rawwich. And in the second half, we'll switch gears, as is our want every once in a while. We'll welcome in the great musician. You may recognize him from the cover of the Allman Brothers uh, album, Brothers and Sisters. That's Valor Trucks when he was three years old, and we'll we'll uh, speak to Valor later on on the, on the broadcast. So just sit back, relax, get comfortable, enjoy the show tonight on GBB. We've got some great people, some great talk up ahead. Uh, social media, I always like to speak with you about that before we get started. We are out on Facebook. We are on Twitter. We're on LinkedIn, that value-added business tool that I'm sure most of you are on. And uh, if you miss a show, don't worry, because they're all cataloged out on the website, and you could listen to them whenever you darn well feel like it. So don't worry about missing a show. I understand. Things happen. Well, our first guest, he spent more than a quarter century working in baseball before assuming his role as the National Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum President. That was on September 9th, 2021. As part of what uh, one of my listeners describes as a dream job, I think we, we all agree that, that it is. He oversees the daily operation of the nonprofit educational institution, which is the Hall of Fame, whose mission is to preserve history, honor excellence, and connect generations all through our game, the great game of baseball. So I'd like to welcome to the show tonight, Josh Rawwich. Josh, good evening. What's going on, Bill? How we doing? Oh, we're doing great. How's the weather up in Coop? Oh, it's getting a little chilly, but uh, yeah. you know, we're, we, we don't have a whole lot of snow on the ground. So when you're in early January and you're pretty clear, that's a good thing. Not bad, not bad. Yeah, not bad walking down Main Street, that's for sure. Now, you're a native of Los Angeles, Josh. Who were your favorite teams, your favorite players uh, growing up as a kid? I was a Dodger fan. I mean, you can imagine growing up in L.A. Sure. Um, I was 12 years old when they won it all in 1988. So Steve Sachs and Oral Hershiser, Kirk Gibson, those were all the guys that I grew up loving and watching. And, and uh, yeah, I just kind of raised on the on Dodger baseball and then got the chance to work for them for about 15 years. And, and uh, like you mentioned, it's been a dream job pretty much every stop along the way. So I got no complaints. You're doing well, Josh. Yeah, you're doing well. And uh, let's let's keep... 1988 on the down low. I'm a Met fan, so let's not get into that too much, all right? Yeah, Mike Sosha, Mike Sosha, that was a big moment. Most people remember uh, 
Kirk Gibson from the World Series, but but Soshoff Gooden was pretty good too. Oh, it was a killer. Yeah, that was a killer. Now, as you said, you joined the Dodgers in '95. You spent parts of five seasons with uh, the marketing department. Then you shifted to public relations. You left the Dodgers to work for MLB. Give us an idea of what you did with MLB. You know, for for those who uh, have been following for twenty plus years, you may. Each team had their own website back in the day when websites were first starting out. And then in right around the, the turn of the millennium in 2000, Major League Baseball took over all 30 team websites and created a company called MLB Advanced Media. So anybody that goes on any of the team sites now, you obviously notice that they, they all look pretty similar. Well, I was right. one of the, the first employees for MLB.com when they took over. Uh, two of us from every team basically moved over and basically became league employees. And I was actually a reporter. I covered the Dodgers for one year as a beat writer in 2001, and then I got to move over and cover the Giants. I moved up to the Bay Area and covered covered the Giants during their World Championship or World Series run. They lost in Game 7, but it was mm-hmm. Bonds and Kent and that whole group in 2002. So I was I was actually a reporter for a couple of years, and I learned a ton doing that and, uh, and then came back to the, to the Dodgers in 2003. Yeah, that is great, Josh. I remember those days when when uh, the World Wide Web was something new, and each team had their individual website, and you, you could talk to people and say, wow, have you seen the Dodgers site? That's pretty cool. And so, oh, well, the Phillies have a real crappy site. You know, <laughs> nothing was uniform. It wasn't, yeah, and actually it's funny. There was a, a webmaster, obviously they used to call the person in charge of the site, and when I moved over to MLB.com, I don't think I realized I was necessarily becoming a beat writer, but it wound up being incredibly valuable in terms of the contacts I made and I just I learned how learned to think like a reporter which became helpful as I I came back to the PR world and started having to help reporters think I could see it from their Mm -hmm. eyes a little bit and understand what the what they were looking for when they came to the ballpark every day outstanding yeah I can understand that now you went on to the D-backs and what I found interesting uh looking over your bio Josh was that you uh you also taught at at Arizona State yeah, I absolutely love teaching. I, I first started it actually at uh, University of Southern California when I was with the Dodgers for my last year and a half there. But I did it for almost, almost my whole time in Arizona, and it, it really is one of the most rewarding things I've had a chance to do just because you get a chance to really be around young minds and, and understand them, and they learn a little bit about what, what the real sports world is like. And, and in fact, even 20 minutes ago, I heard from a, a former student of mine who's uh, – Who's doing well in San Francisco, working in sports communication? So it's it's incredibly rewarding. I used to it was a lot of extra work, um, but I would come home and just feel completely um, just intoxicated by by being in a classroom setting, and um, I just loved loved doing it. And uh, I've had had the opportunity the last couple of years to try to do something out here. I've just got to find a little more time in my schedule one of these days to to start doing it again. Certainly a great thing to put on your resume, Josh, and something to have uh, experience in, in uh, moving forward. We're speaking tonight with Josh Rawwich, the president of the Baseball Hall of Fame in Cooperstown. Now, the challenges and the positives of uprooting your family and moving across the country to a small town, uh, taking on the task of overseeing the operations of the hall, uh, clearly, like I, I see through your Twitter feed that you're proud of the town and you, you, the pictures that you post, they're really great, and they give everybody a feel of what's happening in Cooperstown. Talk a little bit about moving your family to Cooperstown. 
Well, that was obviously, uh, it's not an easy decision anytime you move anywhere. Um, but certainly, like you said, moving, moving that far away from what they all knew was, was pretty significant. But, um, interestingly, my, my in-laws are actually on Long Island. So when I, ah. uh, my wife grew up on Long Island and, um, knowing that we were going to be moving a lot closer to them was definitely helpful. Um, and really just, we've always been up for an adventure as a family. You know, we, we loved our time in Arizona. Um, but when you have an opportunity, I remember when I first got a call from my predecessor, saying, hey, would you ever think about moving to Cooperstown and taking this sort of job? If, 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 would you be interested in interviewing? I came home, I told my wife that the call had come in, and she said, how would you ever turn that down if you got that opportunity? And it was, you know, I, I give her a ton of credit, uh, obviously, for being willing to, to to make that move and the kids to make the move. But we've all settled in here, like you said. We absolutely love being here. And if you if you do follow me on Twitter, I think I've tried to give people a little sense of, how much more there is to Cooperstown than just the Hall of Fame, because I don't think a whole lot of people realize that. And uh, it's just a really special, special place to, to live and to raise a family. That's, that it sure is, Josh. And that, that's one of my dreams in life, too, is to retire, to move to Cooperstown, to volunteer in the hall, and, and live out life in, in uh, the birthplace of baseball, as they say. <laughs> and uh, that, that I would love to do someday. Give us a little insight, Josh, on what a day at the hall is like for you. Example of a day in the office. You know, it's interesting. When you, I think one of the cool things is that there aren't too many similar days because we have so many different things going on. So, um, I mean, uh, on a typical day, I could, I'd probably say I'll, I'll talk to some Hall of Famer or email or text with some Hall of Famer about something going on. Um, I may have something to do with the, the actual voting process, which right now, as everybody knows, is, is we're going through the Baseball Writers Association balloting, and mm-hmm. we'll be announcing on January 24th, so there's, there might be something to do with that. Um, I think the thing that most people don't realize is that we're not just a, a plaque gallery. I mean, we're, we're a three-story. I know you know that because you're a longtime supporter and member of the hall, but it's a, a three-story museum that um, we really we treat our, our exhibits, our collections, our library, our archives very much like... Um, any other museum. So there, there's constantly conversations or meetings about the preservation of artifacts or the display or what label might go on there. And so I'm, I'm involved in anything along those lines, but then I could also be involved in trying to get a, a donor to donate money to the hall or a merchandise product that we have. It's, it's almost 80, 90 people full-time um, with, with various roles and responsibilities. And I guess as the, as the president, I'm, I get to be involved in all that stuff. So it's it's pretty neat. There aren't a whole lot of days that are similar to the others, and I, I really like that about this, this role. Sounds great. The the example of a day out of the office, Josh, what what uh, event or what uh, series, uh, what happening in the world of baseball uh, dictates that you should get out there and attend yourself? Well, certainly if we have something very historic, we do try to have some sort of presence. So the All-Star Game, the World Series, myself or John Chestakovsky, our, our VP of Communications and Education, one of us will will, will go out um, and make sure that we're there to collect a, an artifact if we know that something's going to be historic. It, it's much harder when it's something like the Aaron Judge's home run chase where you don't know on a given night that he, he might hit one, he might not. Mm-hmm. Um and so it's, that's a little bit more challenging, but we'll go in, in the coming year. I know we'll plan to be at spring training. We'll go to the World Baseball Classic final. We'll go to Mexico City. We'll go to London. We'll be all over the place because there's always baseball history happening. And in any given year, we bring in about 400 artifacts to our collection as well as 
uh, hundreds and hundreds of documents, photos, archives, and um, you just you never know where that's going to pop up. So the travel is. We also a lot of times we'll take when you have a Hall of Famer, we'll take their plaque on the road. Um, it's not very often that we'll take plaques out of Cooperstown, but if it's a new Hall of Famer, we might bring someone's plaque to City Field or out to Chase Field or Dodger Stadium, and we'll we'll let fans who can't get to Cooperstown get a chance to take a picture with the plaque or see it. Those are the sorts of things that we'll do, but there's there's really again it, it varies quite a bit on what the travel is like throughout the year. Great examples that you gave there. I, I was going to ask you about the judge home run, uh, if we had anybody there uh, on site. So uh, you answered that great for me. Now, uh, the committee vote just took place, as we know. The crime dog, Fred McGriff, after a long wait, gets his way into Cooperstown. Upcoming, we have the baseball writers vote. Uh, Tell us a little bit about um, the committees. I, I know a lot of people are fuzzy. They still think that there is a veterans committee, which is there is not. But there are several committees that are in place to uh, take a look at uh, other worthy people that should be walking in through the uh, hallowed portals of Cooperstown. Give us a little insight on that, Josh. Yeah, I mean, the, what, what used to be called the Veterans Committee changed many years ago, and it's called the Era Committee primarily just because we break it down by eras. So, what we have is three different groups that we look at of people who, who didn't make it in on the baseball writer's ballot. And this past year, it was any player whose career was primarily 1980 and forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, next year, this, I guess 11 months from now, in early December of this coming year, we'll look at all of the, the managers, the umpires, and the executives who were from that same period, 1980 forward. And then in the third year of the cycle, we look at everybody pre-1980. So that could be... It could be umpires, executives, it could be Negro League players, it could be players from the 50s, 60s, 70s. But we want to make sure, ultimately, that we're giving everybody a fair chance to at least be looked at, once again, even if they've been passed over a number of times. And so it's a it's a pretty stellar group of 16 people. It's a lot of living Hall of Famers, it's historians, it's, it's very long-tenured baseball executives, and we get 16 people into a room. They look at an eight-person ballot, and they, they bring up every name. So in this case, Fred McGriff's name came up, everybody talks about him. And then at the end of the group, uh, everybody gets to turn in a ballot and can vote for up to three of the eight names. And in this case, the only person who got 12 of the 16 votes, which is what you need, 75%, was Fred McGriff. And um, and so he was the only one that got elected through that process. But it, it definitely has added a number of people over the years. In fact, probably more people have gotten in through that process than actually through the baseball writers process. And um, it just we want to make sure that ultimately there's no one way to do it. It, it changes from time to time. And. Everybody's got strong opinions, and we know that. We respect that. And uh, and in this case, it was Fred McGriff got in unanimously, which was pretty cool to see. I think the committee system that we have in place now, Josh, works a lot better than the Veterans Committee. There seemed to be, and we could go uh, about this all night, talking about the cronyism and things like that that took place back when Ted Williams and uh, guys like that were uh, were on the committee, but that's a story for another night. We're talking to Josh Rawich tonight. He's the president of the Baseball Hall of Fame and Museum in Cooperstown. Let's talk about the biggest weekend of the year, Josh. That, of course, is induction weekend, July 21st this year to July 24th. The events. First of all, we'll start with my favorite, Play Ball with Ozzy, which I participate in every year. Tell the folks about Play Ball with Ozzy. Oh, very cool. Yeah, that's a, a, a highly sought after event. And Ozzy has really, um, found a way to help raise money, um, by, by, again, we're a nonprofit. And I don't know that people realize that, but so people get the chance. Heck, you could tell it better than I can because you've been a part of it longer than I have. But, 
Um, you really get a chance to be around Ozzy and several other big leaguers at their Hall of Famers. I think this year, I think it was Kyle Ripken. I'm trying to remember who else was uh, was a part of it this past year. But you get this really cool opportunity to spend time on the field with those guys, really close up and personal. And it is not a um, it's not it's not just open to the public where anybody can come, um, but it does require a donation to the hall and is really a, a favorite for everybody that does it. It is a wonderful experience, folks. Look into it. Go to baseballhall.org. Check out Play Ball with Ozzy. It'll be the experience of a lifetime for for a parent, for for a child, for any and any age. It's from uh, absolutely children all the way up to senior citizens like me and uh it's an enjoyable experience now we talked about fred the baseball writers association will vote we have the hall of fame parade of heroes which is always a, a great event every year yeah honestly that i think is what a lot of people's favorites are because you get to see every single guy uh with their spouse riding down main street in a in an open-air truck and so people will line up as early as I don't know, mid after early afternoon on Saturday, they'll put out their chairs and they'll get a close personal view of people just coming through Main Street. And it's got, I mean, this, it really felt, that's how we knew the induction weekend was back, was you just, yeah, 10, 15,000 people lining the streets of Main Street and, 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 uh, getting a wave at the guy, at the players and the players are waving back and a lot of them will hop off at the end and sign autographs before they, they go into the hall. And it's really just the, Honestly, to me, it was one of the highlights. I think if I think back on the whole, the whole weekend that just took place this past year, I think probably the, the, the most special moment for me was watching Harold Baines actually, um, as he got off the truck and was walking up the steps of the Hall of Fame. He had tears in his eyes and he, he's gone through some health issues in the last year. And I think just the reality that the world was back and that here he was in Cooperstown. He literally was crying as he was coming into the hall and it just, it hit me how much it meant to him and how much it means to so many people who, they do this every year. Just to let you know, Josh, they started lining up on Main Street while we were waiting to get into play ball with Ozzy on Friday morning. <laughs> In the, wow, yeah. You, you got to so, be yeah, tough. <laughs> exactly, yeah. But it does, even if you're a couple rows back, you're still getting an amazing view. Right. Of, uh, this isn't like the Rose Parade or, or Macy's. I mean, this is a... Uh, this is up close and personal stuff. It's pretty cool. All your heroes, folks, right down Main Street. That's the beauty of it. And also, we'll have the inductions of the winners of the J.G. Taylor Spink Award, the Writers, and Ford Frick Award for broadcasters. Where will that be taking place this year, Josh? We do that at the uh, at the Glimmergrass Opera, which is right up the street from uh, right about a mile and a half up the up the road from the hall, mm-hmm. um, right on the lake. It's this amazing theater, and we've started doing this. During COVID, and it really—I mean—it looks incredible on TV. It's a much—it's uh, just a—it's a. I think when we deal with some of the challenges of weather in Cooperstown, we also know that it's not the sort of thing that can get rained out, and it gives us a, a pretty good backup plan in case Sunday gets rained out, which knock on wood hasn't happened for multiple decades. So we're expecting that'll take place again at the opera, but we'll be available for people to watch online, and uh, and yeah, we'll have uh, the two fantastic winners uh, from that pack. Hughes of the Cubs uh, won the. The Ford Frick Award this year, and John Lowe, the longtime baseball writer in Detroit, won the, the BBWAA Excellence Award, and they'll be honored, as will potentially a Buck O'Neill Award winner this year, which we only do once every three years. Um, there might be somebody as well who's honored with that award that we'll know in March if that's happening as part of the same ceremony. That's a truly great award, the Buck O'Neill Award, folks. And now we've gone through Friday, Josh. We've gone through Saturday. 
and it's early on Sunday morning, and everybody's got to get up and get ready because this is the pinnacle. It's sort of, folks, I can uh, sum it up for you saying it's like Woodstock for baseball. It's the <laughs> induction ceremony on Sunday at the Clark facility in Cooperstown. Tell us a little bit, Josh, about what goes in to planning that particular ceremony. Well, that's honestly the thing that, that has surprised me the most since being here and really that, that makes me most proud is that you, you're talking about an, a town of less than 2,000 people that's putting on an event for 40, 50, 60,000 people. And so everybody, everybody at the hall plays a, a, an extra role. They do things that are not part of their normal job, whether it's transportation or hospitality or they might be running one of the seating sections and making sure that people have water. I mean, it's, it's pretty amazing to watch everybody come together and then ultimately, um, rain or shine, we, as long as there isn't lightning storms, we're, we're doing quite often it's in, in extreme heat or, um, or, or it could be a perfect day where you're just sitting on a lawn chair or on your blanket and, uh, and taking in the speeches of those who are getting inducted. And it's, it's just such a, it's such a cool, you think about, um, people honestly wait a lifetime to go see their favorite player be inducted. And, uh, and we see that happen when you get players like a Fred McGriff who played for, Five six franchises. We'll have we'll have fans from all around the country who will come to watch him uh, give his speech. And then if we have anybody else who's inducted this year, they'll be right there on the stage, right behind him. Now I know you you've spoken to students. You've been in front of people before, Josh. But when you when you get that plaque and you're reading a guy's plaque off uh, up on the stage, <laughs> how do you feel? <laughs> I, I can tell you that. Uh, that there's nothing that prepares you to look out at that crowd. I'm, not, I'm obviously not the one being honored, but I'm sitting with literally all of my favorite players growing up, and you're watching your baseball card collections on the stage around you. And um, I will never – I can do this job for 50 years. I will never feel like I actually belong up there with them. But somebody somebody does have to hold the plaque, as you said, um, and, and make sure that everything kind of flows smoothly while we're up there. And that's one of the jobs I get to do, and it's an incredible honor. I just uh, – I look around and – I kind of pinch myself when it's going on. <laughs> I can imagine. I can imagine, Josh. Uh, also on Sunday, a great thing to look forward to, something that I look forward to, is the postcards come out on, on Sunday. And uh, for a collector like me, to get the brand-new plaque postcards of the new <laughs> Hall of Famers is a real treat. And uh, that, yeah. that, that uh, is a great event. That closes out Sunday. We also have the round table on Monday for people that stick around. That's, that's really great. Yeah, once again, you're up close and personal with the inductees, and um, we'll have someone like Peter Gammon, but we'll, we'll, we'll host it. And I mean, you're, you're, uh, maybe a few thousand people at most are out there at Clark Sports Center, and they're, they're getting to hear a, a Q&A with the, the, the man of the hour or the men of the hour and um, it's just a really, again, unique, great way to round out the weekend. It's Monday morning, and for a lot of people, they like to stay that Sunday night. There's always stuff going on in town. And um, this past year, David Ortiz threw a big party out at Omegang Brewery. Uh, wow. At Dominican <laughs> Fiesta. He flew, he flew in bands and all sorts of other stuff. There's all, there's, there truly is. I mean, for people that are thinking about coming this year, um, you definitely want to get on the housing soon because it does fill up pretty quickly, all the bed and breakfasts and hotels and Everything within 60 miles starts filling up pretty fast. So uh, for those who are thinking about coming out and seeing Fred or anybody else inducted, uh, make sure you get on it ASAP. And honestly, if you if you don't want to come that weekend because it's too chaotic, there's 51 other weekends every year where this place is really someplace else to visit. And uh, 
but hope everybody will get a chance to make it out. In the fall, too, folks. There's a hint for you. Uh, head up to Cooperstown Columbus, around Columbus Day, give or take, and uh, you'll be really uh, surprised and, and treated to a great uh, color show with the foliage in it the is. area. Also, you, you spoke yeah. a little bit, Josh, about the guys in the hall that, that take other roles during that weekend. I just want to mention my buddies John Horn, Bruce Markison, who uh, handle play ball, and oh, oh, they're great with the folks. Those guys are great. Yeah. Well, it, it's, it's in the really is a special staff, and people. We just had an event to honor uh, eight of the eight of the employees who've been there for fifteen, twenty, thirty years. We have some people as, as much as thirty-five years who've worked at the hall, and it's just a really dedicated bunch that. Uh, I feel very lucky to work with every day. Certainly. So uh, we've gone through the induction weekend, folks. As Josh said, check into to, uh, rooming early. We're, we're lucky we have dibs on the same room every year. It rolls over down at the lakefront on uh, the foot of Fair Street. Awesome. So we're down there every year. So it's another year in the books then, folks. Uh, I'd like to just give a shout-out to my friends from Iowa, Sherry, Rich, Wayne, who uh, stay with us at the Lakefront Motel. We, we love to see them every year. And, and, and Jason from the hall, uh, Josh, has said that he loves to see the friendships uh, forged. There you have people from Iowa and people from Long Island making great, long-lasting friendships all brought together by the great game of baseball. I mean, it happens every single year. New people get to meet. They'll just be sitting next to each other at the parade or at induction, and the next thing you know, they're finding ways to get together at a ballpark somewhere in America or or come back to Cooperstown the following year, and that's... uh, that's what makes this place very special. It really does. It connects generations. It connects friends. And um, I, I know you know it as well as anybody because you come up every year. And uh, we just hope we hope a lot of people will follow in your follow your lead and come be a part of what we've got going on up here. It's hallowed ground, folks. And not only baseball. There's other museums for you to check out as well. The town is small town America, folks. Uh, I mean, read any review, uh, TripAdvisor. They'll tell you how great Cooperstown is. Anything coming up, Josh, that the, the folks should know about? Well, the biggest thing I would tell you to do is just go to baseballhall.org. We're actually going to be launching our new website here in the next uh Probably two weeks or so. We've been working on that for a whole year, and you'll see a whole calendar of events. There's there's always stuff going on here. There's plaque gallery tours. There's events that are throughout the entire month. There's always stuff going on. And um, Hall of Fame Classic weekend over Memorial Day, really awesome. It's an old-timers game where, where 30 guys from 30 teams come out and, and play a double-day field. There really is. I mean, there's no shortage of events that go on, and people people tend to think we're, we're too far from the city, but... It's really not that far. You can take a train up to Albany, or you can you can rent, take your car up here, and you're standing on Main Street within about three and a half hours from leaving leaving the city. So hopefully, uh, many of you guys will will make the trip up and uh, and look me up when you get here. Just uh, you, you can uh, get with me on Twitter, folks, at bdonahuewgbb, and I'll give you the directions. And the, you, you'll go through the the, the back roads through Cobleskill, uh, Roseboom, some tremendous small towns, and uh, you'll just love it. And, and our chat tonight, Josh, it just popped into my head. It reminds me of the quote that Jim Bouton. Uh, brings up in ball four that one spends a good piece of his life gripping a baseball, but in the end it turns out that it was the other way all around. Absolutely. One of my favorite quotes, and uh, and it, there's nothing nothing more true than that statement. It's, a, it's an amazing game, and uh, 
I'm really I'm grateful for let you let for letting you let me talk about it for a little bit and uh Hopefully get a chance to say hello when you're up here next time. It's been a pleasure. Well, Josh Rawich, again, thanks for taking time out of your Sunday night to speak with us down here on Long Island and the folks listening online all around the country. Uh, get ready, folks. Go to baseballhall.org. Plan your trip to Cooperstown. Remember induction weekend, July 21st to 24th this week. And, Josh, we will see you Friday morning in the Platte Gallery for breakfast that weekend of induction. You bet. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for having me. Thanks. That's Josh Rawwich, folks. And that'll... Uh, no, no, no. Up next. Coming up next, Sports Talk New York. Switch gears, as is our want to do on occasion. We'll welcome in Valor Trucks. So stick around, folks. Listening to Sports Talk New York. Tune in every Sunday night at 8 p.m. on Long Island's WGBB. Broadcasting on 95.9 FM and 1240 AM. Or listen live online at WGBBradio.com. Stay connected to Sports Talk New York on WGBB by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at WGBB Sports Talk. You're listening to Sports Talk New York on Long Island's WGBB. And now, back to the show. You don't start talking until the drums come in, Brian, right? That's the cue. Well, we're back, folks. We're back with Sports Talk New York on WGBB on this first show of mine of 2023. I'd like to wish you a happy new year, but I can't because it's past the deadline. Yes, you cannot wish somebody a happy new year after January 7th. That's the cutoff. I, there was one time I got happy new year in March. Oh, did I lay into that guy? Uh, <laughs> yeah, imagine running into some clown you haven't seen in a while, and they say happy new year, and it's March. It's St. Patrick's Day. March is good for two things. As I said, St. Patrick's Day's and spring training baseball. That's it. The high blue skies of Florida, the searing sun of Arizona, the crack of the bat, the pop of the mitt. Once again, that we hear those sounds. I've officially started the countdown, Brian. 36 days until pitchers and catchers report. Uh, that's the first day when you turn on your TV, folks. You hear the room filled with the dulcet tones of Gary, Keith, and Ron. So we're going to look forward to that. Baseball's on the way, but now we're switching gears. And we're going to go do it anyway, whether you like it or not. So, Our next guest. Well, let's get the preliminaries out of the way straight off. Butch is his father. Derek and Dwayne are his cousins. Tony is his third cousin. And Virgil, we're going to get sports into this somehow, folks. Virgil is his grandfather's first cousin. That's Virgil Fire Trucks, author of two no-hitters, two-time world champion with the Pittsburgh Pirates, and one with the 1960 Yankees. After all, we are a sports show. And, yes, that is him on the cover of the Allman Brothers album, Brothers and Sisters. It's a pleasure to welcome to the show tonight, Valor Trucks. Valor, good evening. Bill, how you doing? We're doing great down here. We're doing great. Hope everything is good. Uh, you're, you're in down in Georgia. Correct, yes, Atlanta. Got to be better than uh, here, that's for sure. It's a little chilly. <laughs> Let us know right off the bat, Valor, your, your musical influences. Yes. Well, um, you know, I 
I'm one of these guys that likes to play music that's kind of challenging and fun and interesting, so I have uh, I have tastes that I don't think a lot of people share. And as a result, I don't think uh, uh, people have sought my music out as much as some others might. But I, I really enjoy playing uh, progressive music, playing fusion, playing jazz, playing uh, you know, loud, scary, odd meter instrumental music. <laughs> I got you. Okay. No, no shame. No shame in that, Valor. Now, excluding, uh, your direct relations that we covered in the, in the intro, you, you've worked with some, uh, some pretty big name guys that, that people, uh, would recognize, didn't you? Uh, I've been fortunate, yes. Um, you know, I've, uh, you know, aside from just, taking as many lessons as I can from as many people as I can, and that includes people like, you know, Pat Martino and Bill Harkleroad and Dweezil Zappa and a bunch of others. Um, for the past eight, nine years now, I've been part of an organization called Roots Rock Revival that takes mm-hmm. us up uh, in the Catskills that my father founded, uh, and uh, I've been one of the instructors there for a while, so as a result, I've been working on a regular basis with uh, – Luther and Cody Dickinson of the North Mississippi All-Stars, uh, Othiel Burbridge with uh, Dead & Company. Uh, shoot, we've had Johnny Vidakovich, the legendary uh, New Orleans drummer, come through a few times. Bernard Purdy was there one time. Nikki Glaspie, uh, you know, who's, I guess, probably best known for being, uh, you know, Beyonce's drummer for a while. Uh, right. A whole bunch of folks. Yeah, I've, I'm, I'm a very fortunate guy. Now, I saw uh, on your website mentioned you work with Stephen Stills. I thought that was interesting. Give uh, us a little insight into Stephen Stills. What are you doing with him? <laughs> oh, that was a one-shot. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, no. The way that came about was I was living in Tallahassee, Florida, and Stephen Stills was playing the inauguration for the governor in 1990 or 91, and I was there with my cousin Derek, and the both of us were invited to come up and be a part of his set. Oh. So it wasn't it wasn't any sort of a long-term sort of a relationship with Stephen Stills. It's just he and I got to play together for a night. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I just I had to ask you. That's all. Yeah. Now, a couple of different uh, initiatives, we'll say, that you were involved in. Uh, the Yeti Trio. That sounds yes. like a very interesting band. Well, that's, that's the one that if you're into the weird, you know, loud, uh, fusion jazz, that's, that's the trio that I've had, um, since 1998, um, with, uh, native New Yorker Eric Sanders on drums. Mm-hmm. <laughs> a resident of Far Rockaway that moved down to Atlanta. There you go. Uh, yeah, uh, and lifelong diehard Yankees fan. Um, uh, yeah, so he moved down to Atlanta to play with Colonel Bruce Hampton and his band, the Fiji Mariners, uh, and then I scooped him up in 1998, and we've been playing music ever since. Yeah. We're speaking with Valor Trucks tonight on the program, and I wanted to ask you about the, the Freight Trade Band. Mm. Yeah, that was, that was kind of special. Yeah. Um, the, the Allman Brothers, you know, officially played their last show in uh, October of 2014. And then after that, my father put together two ensembles. One that he put together for the purposes of playing festivals and larger venues, and that had many former members of the Allman Brothers. And that band was called La Brere. And, you know, J-Mo was in that band, O'Teal was in that band, Marquinhos was in that band. But he had his own side project of just stuff that he wanted to do for his own self because he thought it was fun. And with that group, he toured, you know, uh, 
mostly the southeast, but we got up to uh, uh, New York and Boston a couple of times as well. But that band was called Butch Trucks and the Free Train Band. Right. And it and started out as a, as a uh, quartet with me and Butch and uh, Barry Oakley, uh, you know, Barry Oakley's son, Barry right. Oakley, and, and uh, keyboardist from uh, upstate. His name is... Uh, um, Bruce Katz, and he's been playing with everyone forever. Uh, you know, he plays, I guess probably most folks would know him as a member of JMO's jazz band for a long time. Ah, okay, um, yeah. Yeah, and then later we added uh, Damon Fowler, who was a, a phenomenal guitarist from uh, Central Florida, uh, a young uh, guitarist named Heather Gillis, phenomenal, who's uh, up and coming. If you haven't heard Heather yet, you need to. And then a percussionist. Uh, named Garrett Dawson, who I'm still working with now. So yeah, yeah. Uh, Butch, I had Butch on the program one one uh, Super Bowl Sunday, which uh, I yeah. which I usually uh, take a, a lot of actors and uh, musical folks on that night because everybody else is doing you know what. So mm-hmm. uh, he he even said to me. No one's going to be listening to us. I said, no, but you're the draw. You're my drawing card to get people away from the TV. But he had mentioned Heather Gillis that night, mm-hmm. how phenomenal she was, yeah. as you say. Yes, for sure. Yeah. Um, it was a situation where he discovered her uh, at a small club in Tallahassee, Florida, called Bradfordville Blues Club, which uh, uh, I, think, I think my sister actually introduced the two of them. And... Uh, you know, he just took to her immediately, gave her some scholarships to the uh, music camp I talked about earlier, Roots Rock Revival. Mm-hmm. And, you know, after we had been on the road with Freight Train Band for probably about six months, we invited her to be on full time. Yeah. Gotcha. Now, now Butch sang with the band, right? <laughs> Believe it or not. Yeah. He did sing a couple of tunes. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, I did. Yeah. I, I also want to let you know, uh, Vale, that I met Butch once. He was okay. uh, on his on the book tour with Alan Paul. Yes, and it was a small bookstore in uh, New Jersey. I I live in Long Island, so driving out to Jersey, it, uh, I don't enjoy that. And uh, I left early, found the bookstore. I was the first online, and I sat right in the front when the, those guys had a Q and A, and it was just the best. It really was. Yeah. Yeah, Alan uh, and I have been talking about doing some stuff together uh, this summer. In fact, so nice. More well, we'll, on that we'll, later. We'll, yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll touch on that now. Roots Rock Revival. We we uh, touched on the Freight Train Band, Bonobo's Convergence. Oh, that one! That one was interesting. There was um, there was a jam band out of Central Florida that got really huge regionally. It's a band called Kinda K Y N D A. And what a couple of the members of the band figured out is that if you're based out of Orlando, even if you drive for six or seven hours, you're still in Florida. (laughs) Right, yeah. So they figured, why don't we get up to Atlanta? That way, if we drive for six or seven hours, we got one of about six states to choose from. Gotcha. So the two of them, the keyboardist and um, the drummer, they originally wanted to do it as a duo, like the like the Benavento Russo duo, that kind of thing, organ and drums. And they decided that they needed someone on bass. And I just saw the Craigslist ad, and I said, well, I'll go audition, but instead of bass, I will bring this mutant rig that I've been using for the Yeti Trio in which I could play bass and guitar on the same instrument. Ooh. Um, so I brought that audition. They liked me. They hired me, and we played together. You know that band lasted, I think, about six years. Um, 
and it's uh, very progressive sounding. There was a lot of kind of, uh, you know, ELP, you know, now Keith Emerson kind of influences mm-hmm. on what we did. And, uh, I, you know, Frank, unfortunately, the, the the drummer, he moved out to Colorado, so I don't get to see him very often, but Pete's still here in town, and the two of us work together on Brother and Sister still. So, Yeah, Brother brother and Sister. Tell us a little bit about your sister, Melody, and uh, yeah. I really thought the project, the Brother and Sister project, was a great idea. Well, it's it's interesting, you know, when when Greg passed away and when my father passed away, um, there became kind of a, a renewed attention on people, a lot of people doing the music of the Almond Brothers, and the, the tribute acts kind of got out of control. Yeah, <laughs> uh, there's a ton of them. Some of them are really fabulous, and some of them are not. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, and uh, so people started, you know, kind of looking to me. Uh, because I would speak up and say, that's not how you play that, and that's not what that song is about. And so since I was teaching this music every year at Roots Rock Revival, I said, well, if this music has to be played and you know, it has to be chronicled, then let me put an organization together that would actually be capable of, of pulling that off. And um, my sister Melody, uh, after my father passed away, she kind of made a decision to go all in on the music and, you know, is in the process of stepping away from her day gig and making music her full-time profession. Um, so I figured that in addition to being a way to make the Almond Brothers music uh, something that has at least an advocate out there in the music world, mm-hmm. uh, then it would also be a way for me to work with her and to, you know, get her name out there, get, you know, get her some road hours and all of that good stuff, which has been fabulous. She's been killing it. So, yeah, I put this band together. More, not necessarily as a tribute act, but I like to think of it as doing for the music of the Almond Brothers what Dweezil Zappa did for his father's music, right? I see. Putting together an organization of musicians whose intent was to execute the music in the way that it was intended to be executed. That is, not to play the solo note for note, and not to go up on stage in costume, but to treat the music as a, as a body of work the way a chamber orchestra would, and play it the way it's meant to be played. So right. that's that's what I'm trying to do with it. Outstanding effort. Yes, I would say that that's something that had to be done. Why why do you think that the Almond Brothers music uh continues to generate such a devoted following? I mean, I, I still go on the, the, the website, I buy the uh, the old shows from Jones Beach, from from yeah. uh the Beacon, from from uh Nassau Coliseum and yeah and the new one that they just released from syria moss yeah I, I i still yeah. buy that and it, it's sort of like it Valor. i equate it to sort of uh the deadheads where you you listen well, exactly yeah you listen to one way out you listen to uh i can't think of it now <laughs> so I many just, right and um, memory of elizabeth reed and uh, yeah, done somebody that's wrong that's what that's what i was yeah. thinking and uh you, you listen to that and you say oh well the, uh Dwayne or, or Barry had a little, little uh, different there, you know, or, or you, Dickie mm-hmm. played this a little differently, man. It's like, you know, the Deadheads talk about Jerry. It, it's the same yeah. thing. Well, it is because, you know, uh, what, you know, what the Allman Brothers did and what the Grateful Dead did as well is they tried to impart an improvisational, a, a jazz-oriented approach to, you know, music that up to that point had been kind of very regimented, right? I mean, the origins of rock and roll uh, 
came up from this American musical tradition, which is all very spontaneous, right? And yet somehow, once we got midway through the 1960s, things were getting very kind of lockstep and rigid again. And so there were a, a fistful of groups, you know, like the Allman Brothers, like the Grateful Dead, like the Doors, like the Canterbury scene out of uh, the, the UK prog right. uh, ensembles. They wanted to try and infuse this kind of spirit of uh, improvisation back into what was going on. Now, as to why it's still popular now, there's a bunch of reasons why. I mean, uh, number one, it's just I don't think that anyone quite got the balance of interesting and touching songwriting. Uh, when combined with music that is fun to execute, fun to listen to, and fun to improvise over, you know. So if you're a young musician first coming up, uh, you, it's, it's entirely natural to be drawn to the music of the Almond Brothers because they give you a quick and easy way to apply not entry level, but certainly intermediate level theory, uh, into an improvisational setting and you know you can you can jam and sound like a badass right it's it it feels good to play (laughs) um so yeah i i think that's a large part of it but you know another part of it is just they were great musicians you know oh certainly Yeah. yeah uh it's timeless as we say what do you think that the music legacy of the brothers uh how do you want the music to affect people valor oh wow um that's a hard question because the interesting thing about legacies is it's not up to us, is it? No. You know, it's right. up for future generations to decide what's important and what isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I find their music interesting from a historical niche perspective for the reasons that I've stated, that they were genuinely interested in, in bringing jazz, blues, country gospel influences together in the American tradition. I think that's fabulous, and I think that for that reason, there will always be uh, some folks, at least, that are interested in what they did. And as long as there are, and as long as I'm able to do it, I'll represent it as best I can. Um, but legacy, man, that's a hard one. I, I don't, right. I don't know. Now we'll always have Phil Maurice. That's for sure, Valor. We'll always yes. have. The, we got Valor <laughs> Trucks with us tonight on the program. Now, a- advice and things you may have learned from those guys, uh, Butch included. A- any lessons oh. along the way that you've picked up? Oh man, yes. Uh, no egos. First ah, and foremost, great one. Uh, for, first and foremost, when when you're when you're in a in a musical situation. The best thing you can do is listen. And if you don't know what to play, don't play anything. Uh, always have your ears on. Always have your eyes open. You know, keep keep your eyes on whoever is responsible for making the, the the song tick at that particular moment. Make sure you know. If if you go out on stage with a notion of "Look at me," uh, you're gonna you're gonna wreck things pretty quickly because it's it's not it's not. Uh, what's what's the old joke um, that anytime you have a band that is called so and so and the something somethings, the something somethings always hate so and so. Yeah, you're right. That's that's the way it goes. So make it make it a unit. You know, make music. Don't kind of go up on stage to aggrandize yourself. But you know, there are a, a million little technical things I can I can 
pass on about you know what hand signals mean, how to dial in a tone, how to play in an ensemble. I mean, there's a lot. But hey, come to Roots Rock Revival. I'll teach them all to you. <laughs> what, what town are we talking up in the Catskills, Valor? It's in Big Indian. I know exactly uh, where that is, right off Route 28. Yeah, it's at the Full Moon Resort. Yeah, in Indian, New York. I'm going to look yeah. that up. That's for sure, because we we love the the Hudson Valley, and we're up Route 28 oh. going to Cooperstown to the Baseball mm. Hall of Fame all the time. You know, and and uh, there you go. Kate Pearson has a place not far from there, from the B-52s. Oh, wow, yeah. Yeah. The, the, yep. She's from here. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Exactly. Now, uh, the gigs that you've played. Uh, what's, what's the most memorable? Do you have people yelling free bird at you, uh, at times? Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Oh, man. Those guys. Yeah. And that's okay. You know, they're, you know, it's, what did I say about no egos? You know, if you get yeah. on stage, then, you know, make your own, right? That's <laughs> it. Um, but, um, memorable, uh, the freight train plan got a plan, chance to play at, um, at BB King's on Times Square. Oh, nice! And, uh, nice venue. Yeah, my kid. Yeah, my kid Astrid was was with us as well and sang some with us, and that was that was really special for me. Um, and also, I found out later in the day uh, after the show was over that Julian Lennon was the audience as well, and I didn't get a chance to meet him. Oh, um, oh wow! Yeah, but aside from that, um, my father uh, and the rest of the Allman Brothers they organized a festival. Uh, down in North Florida, uh, called Wani. Right. And, uh, and, uh, I played Wani, I don't know, a dozen times, and each time was fabulous. I just, if I could only have one gig a year, it would be Wani. <laughs> yeah, I have some of those shows on, on CD2 that I ordered from the website. Yeah. That must be, that must be a great place to be. It really is. Yeah. It's, it was, it was fabulous. And, you know, you know, even when, uh, even, you know, for a couple of years after the Allman Brothers were no more, uh, widespread panic kept it going until about 2017. And even then, it was still fabulous. Yep, I can imagine. Now, here, here's one for you. What's your favorite Allman's tune to play? Oh, to play? Yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, I, like I say, I like challenging music. I like difficult music. So it's going to be a lot of the instrumentals, right? Ah. Um, I, I really like, I really like playing Revival. I really like playing High Falls. Um, there's an instrumental that's on their 1992 release called Shades of Two World, and the instrumental is called Kind of Bird, and that one is a lot of fun to play. Yeah. Uh, Pegasus from Enlightened Right, Road. I remember uh, that one. I saw them on that tour with Dangerous Dan Toler. Yeah. Yeah. And the, the instrumental they did next year off of the uh, Reach for the Sky album, that, that album doesn't get a whole lot of love, but there's a... There's an instrumental on there called From the Madness of the West that is a ton of fun as well. Great answer. Now, yeah. I'd like to know if if you have an answer for this one too, Valor. Valor Trucks mm -hmm. with us tonight on the program. So many family members and offspring from these guys are expressing themselves music, musically. You, yeah. Do you don't? see that too often in the music business. I mean, you look at Paul McCartney, his his daughter's a uh, fashion designer. Uh, they may right. do something else, but they're not out on the road playing music like all of you guys are. Yeah, there's there's quite a few of us. I just got off the road with uh, Melody and I both just got off the road with the Allman Family Revival that uh, Devin Allman puts together every year. And yeah, it was the two of us, Devin, it was... Um, Dickie's son, Dwayne Betts. Mm -hmm. It was uh, uh, 
Roy Orbison's son, Alex Orbison, was playing drums. Amazing. Uh, there, was, <laughs> yeah. there was a bunch of us. Yeah. Barry Dwayne Oakley was, was part of that organization as well. It, yeah, there's a, there's a bunch of us. <laughs> How about, um, people don't realize, uh, Valor, that like these guys are people too. Give us an example of something funny that happens with the Allman Brothers Band that you can re- recount to us. Okay. Um, well, with regards to the band, uh, here's something that most people might not know. Uh, if it was your birthday while you were on the road, yeah. one thing that happened is the night of the show, you got a pie in the face. <laughs> Good. Yeah, that's fine. That was fine. a birthday provision. Yeah, and I actually got a chance to do that to my sister Melody because we played in Baltimore on her birthday this past year, and it was a, it was a big birthday as well. It's her 50th birthday, and she got a pie in the face from me. So. There you go. That, that, that's what I'm looking um, for, yeah. And and then I'll give you an example of something funny with the Brothers tune. There, there was a local band here on Long Island called the Stanton Anderson Band. And they okay. they did some covers of the Brothers to a T that were really great. The the slide work was absolutely tremendous, and uh, cool. they, they were doing uh, not my cross to bear. So they're yeah. in the middle of that, and the lead singer sings, uh, "I sat down." And then you hear from the back of the room, and wrote you a long letter. <laughs> and oh, they, they just they just yep. broke up. Uh, it was hilarious. <laughs> Things there like that. Yeah. Yep. Now, what's your highlight musically so far, Valor? Hmm. Um, man, quite a few. Um, you know, I don't. Okay, this is gonna this is gonna be interesting. Yeah. Um, my wife and I got married in 2009 here in Atlanta, and we just went to the Justice of the Peace to do it. Um, simultaneous to that. Um, I don't know if you know the name Mike Keneally, but he played with Frank Zappa's band. Okay. Uh, and he is a, also on his own right, a fabulous guitarist, keyboardist, songwriter, singer. And, uh, he was having, uh, the tour he was putting together for that year was, he was calling it the My Keneally Tour. <laughs> so instead of him and his booking agents and whatever, uh, booking clubs, he just said, hey, if you want me to come to where you're at, let's just cut out the middleman. You pay me directly, I show up and we play. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I talked to my, my fiance, Emily, and we said it would be fabulous to have him play. And then she said, yeah, and it would also be fabulous if this was also uh, a reunion for the Yeti Trio because we hadn't played together at that point in more than seven years. Mm-hmm. So we, we booked – uh, local club here in town called Smith's Old Bar. Fabulous, fabulous venue. And we had Mike and his bass player, uh, Brian Beller, come out and play. And the Yeti Trio got together and played for the first time in forever. And then all five of us played together. And then we got to tell the audience, you guys don't know it, but you're at our wedding reception. Uh, that that was a pretty special night. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, great story. Yeah. Now, as we spoke about before, I'm going to get a little corny here and say, the road goes on forever. What's up ahead for Valor Trucks? Well, um, this year, 2023, is the 50th anniversary of the album, Brothers and Sisters. Right. So my sister Melody and I, were going to try and put together a, a, as many brother and sister shows as we possibly can for the year, as many as is feasible. Uh, and that's that's my biggest 
priority musically for the year. Uh, we're even going to try and get all of our friends and family together to recreate the inside photo for the Brothers and Sisters album with everyone sitting on that deck. Um, yeah. You know, so, oh, that's great. Yeah, we're going to try. Yeah, we're going to try and do something like that. Um, aside from that, um, I have been invited for the first time to participate in the Jam Cruise, and oh, that's just nice. a little over a month away. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's talk that the Yeti Trio might get together and play some this year. Uh, my drummer and I are going to be recording some this year. We have an instrumental project that we've been working on for a while. And then there's Roots Rock Revival. And, uh, yeah, those, those are the highlights for me for this coming year. And again, folks, you pick up that copy of Brothers and Sisters that you have at home in, uh, in, in the milk crate. Like uh, where you keep all your albums, that kid on the front cover is the gentleman we've spoken to tonight. And who's who's uh, on the back? That's Barry Oakley's daughter, Brittany. Ah, okay. Yeah. It truly is, folks, brothers and sisters, and that's that's the way I'll yeah. close it out. Valor, it's been a pleasure. Thanks for taking the time out of your Sunday night to spend it with us up here in New York. Uh, good luck to you. We'll keep in touch with you, and I thank you once again. Bill, my pleasure. You guys take care now. You too. Now, that's Valor Trucks, folks. That'll do it for me tonight. Now I can go home. Well, I ain't got to go home, but I got to get the heck out of here. That's for sure. Now, that'll do it for me tonight on Sports Talk New York. I'd like to thank my guests, Josh Rawich and Valor Trucks, my engineer, Brian Graves, and you for joining us. Thank you, folks. See you next on January 22nd. Till then, be safe, be well. Bill Donahue wishing you a good evening, folks. The views expressed in the previous program did not necessarily represent those of the staff, management, or owners of WGBB.